Thank you for checking out episode nine of the Big Scott Boneheads podcast. My name is Michael Gray. He's Scott Hershey. Coming up, our guest, Russ Dobrzynski. Why can't I say that? Uh, I don't Do- know. Dobrzynski. Right? <laughs> yes. Dobrzynski. Like Doberman, but not with the kind of with the Zinski. I'm probably mispronouncing it. These too polite to tell me after all these years. <laughs> the uh, Montana Dream, Fishing and Outfitters. Uh, Russ spends a lot of time on the rivers, uh, guiding people on uh, beautiful fishing trips and hunting and doing outdoorsy Montana stuff. Uh, and we will catch up with Russ as we head allegedly into spring. Spring's been weird here in Montana so far with uh, spring and then followed by sixth winter and then a little bit of spring and then seventh winter. And uh, so as we move through, we will get with Russ coming up here in just a little bit. One of the other things that we've got a lot of in Montana, apparently, according to the stories breaking this week, are vehicles. Yeah, we've got Um, the most uh, vehicle registrations per capita in the United States now. What's going on? We all all have three cars? Everybody's got three cars? Well, nobody can afford to drive any of them, so I'm not sure what they're doing with them. Because gas is $5 a gallon and nobody can go anywhere. Parking them in fields, from what I can see as I drive across the state anywhere. It makes a lot more sense. Again, uh, gas, uh, diesel fuels, $504, $519 a gallon, depending on the day. Ah, I'll park mine in a field, too, because I can't afford to drive it anywhere. It's not gas. It's going to stay here. The problem is we're like third for new registration in cars or registration growth. And uh, most of those new cars that are being registered came into the state with a bunch of people in them. So uh, that's that's where they came from. I just don't understand the per capita thing. I don't have – if it were per household, that would make sense. You know, you've got a teenage driver. Yep. I'm going to have a teenage driver in the next couple of years. That means another car in the driveway. But this is per capita. This means you have two cars, and your wife has two cars, <laughs> right? And your kids got two cars. Like, what? Yeah, the ratio is nearly one to two for for cars, uh, for people to cars, because it's 184 vehicles registered per 100 people in the state. Right. That's that's a lot. And and growing up in any of the uh, the white trash places I've called home, if you had two cars, one of them was missing something important. Like an engine <laughs> or a transmission. Say, wh- exactly. Where's my other 85% of a car that I deserve? Because I only have one. That actually might explain a lot of it. Like, yeah, I've got 1.85 cars. That one out there without the door and the hood and the left front tire, that's my other ride someday. That sounds like my neighborhood. It is. <laughs> that's my project car, and only you knuckle busters know what that means. Now, apparently we have a bunch of them. Uh, Montana being a haven for rich people with their rich people cars. They register them here yeah, because but the taxes got, are lower. Lower. You, get, you also got people like my dad, and, and, and he's the kind of guy who has a car, and he'll go, I'm going to fix that up someday. And I'm like, Dad, there's rabbits living in it. It's been there. There's weeds up to the through the hood. and that, So he's the guy with all my cars. I am looking forward to the episode of Hoarders that your dad is going to be oh, on. Oh, boy. That one's going to be fun. Animals. <laughs> dump trucks. Old RVs. Here is a station wagon full of ferrets just outside of Billings, Montana. (laughs) He's the first bidder, I can tell you that. (laughs) All right. That said, we'll turn from vehicles to something that requires no motor. Drift boats. Time to welcome our guest. Russ. You you can. How do I even do this, man? There's so many consonants. (laughs) Buy a vowel, right? You got to buy about three. Russ, Polish. It's it's Dobrzynski. Okay. Yeah, unless you're from Poland, and then it's something I can't. Even I was going to say, how do they say it over there? I had a guy correct me on that. I was I was managing restaurants <laughs> in in uh, Minneapolis area, and uh, a guy, a regular to the restaurant, would come in every day, and you know he was a good dude, older guy, and he's like, how do you 
how do you say your name? And I said, Dobrzynski. And he's like, no, that's not right. <laughs> and he totally corrected me. And he's like, I'm from Poland. I moved here when I was seven. How did he say it? I, I can't remember. Oh, okay. Something. It's like saying here, you're talking to Steve and go, your name's pronounced Steve. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, it's not. You are Steve. Right. I get to decide what? this. <laughs> well, Russ D., uh, is uh, here because he's the owner, operator, and outfitter at the uh, at Montana Dream Fishing Outfitters. Uh, you're also the host of the Montana Dream Podcast, uh, mdfishingoutfitters.com. We'll go over all of that in the notes for this thing. And uh, spring is allegedly here. It's been snowing on and off in Montana, as it do. Um, yeah. Once the kids start spring sports, there's always that one last little mess of winter that mm-hmm. comes in. But uh, the rivers, I saw a lot of, I, I just got back from Vegas not that long ago, saw a lot of drift boats running around right. out on the highways making their uh, moves from boat launch to boat launch. It's that time of year, right? Yeah, it's the spring migration. And in Montana, it's always, uh, you know, the, Mon- the Missouri River is like the, the place to be in the spring because it's tailwater and it usually has water in it, usually. But yeah, it's uh, it's that time of the year where people are jonesing to get out, Um I think uh, this spring is going to be a little different, maybe, um, just with water conditions and the lack of water. So they're going to be, you know, people are going to be going to those places that have water in them. This is kind of an interesting progression because the last podcast we talked to an MSU film professor who was, uh, who was involved with the filming of A River Runs Through It. Right. Uh, and A River Runs Through It obviously had a big impact and might have created your job because yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> because of A River Runs Through It, fly fishing boomed, Montana fly fishing really boomed. Right, right. And I always I always look at that. I mean, everybody in the industry looks at that that film. And that movement is kind of a double-edged sword, right? Like, it did bring a lot of people out here. It's definitely um, paid for my house, you know? I mean, sure. like, it's it's the way I make a living. No, we asked Dennis if he felt bad yeah, for doing that to yeah. us, to all of us. He lives in Bozeman still, so he gets to see it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> He's well, got a front row seat. And obviously, some places are are more congested than others. Bozeman is a, is a hotbed, right, for, for people moving out here because they get the best of both, both worlds. They get... They're kind of city living, but they also get Montana. They get mountains. They get snow. They get all that stuff. But then you go to the rivers, and what they thought the rivers were going to be, now you're in a traffic jam on the Madison. Right. And and they, I don't think they thought of that when, you know, a lot of people didn't think of that. The fortunate thing about the Missouri River is it's a huge river, and it, it we don't have that, that hub, that cultural hub like a Bozeman, you know. Helena's getting to be like that, but it's still, still pretty tame. When you when you have people coming in, are they looking for the best fishing or the best spot? Because they're not always going to be the same. Yeah, it's it it depends on that. That's that's a good question, and it depends on the person. There are some people out here that are 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 true anglers. You know, they come out here for the fishing, um, but there's a lot of people that come out here that it, this is a bucket list thing for them, right? Um, or they saw the the movie a river runs through it and and they thought well that would be really cool to to learn that or to at least experience it so it depends on their objective when they come out here um and different areas uh seem to uh, foster some of that difference you know um we're like guides in bozeman when you talk to them uh a big part of the experience is setting up a table tablecloth wine for lunch and they take an hour and a half to do lunch, partly because that's their client base, is they're right. coming from places where that was the norm. And part of it, too, is that those rivers don't fish as well as the Missouri River, 
they're not as consistent. So when people come to the Missouri River, they're more about the fishing. So they want to grab a sandwich and get back on the river and start fishing. So an hour and a half lunch to them is a waste of time. So As is a tablecloth outside. <laughs> yeah, right. What are we doing? It's also, right. you know, it's interesting to uh, to look around. You know, if you're in Helena and you're resident of Helena or even in other parts of Montana as well, um, maybe maybe people who don't fly fish, they might know a little bit that this is a good fly fishing river. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they know how good it is as far as uh, as being esteemed among people. You know, it, it's like it's like the White River in Arkansas. I bet right. you there's a whole bunch of people in Arkansas who don't know about the White River mm-hmm. being you know, they might know it's there, they might know it geographically, and they might know it's good for fishing, but they might not know when a, when a, when a fly fisherman from from the East Coast makes a list of Rocky Mountain rivers, mm-hmm. Missouri's going to be on it most of the time. Yeah, and, you know, when I first started guiding, uh, this 2007, the Missouri River was still a pretty well-kept secret. You know, people would come out here, and, and I'd get this all the time. They'd say, well, we hear about the Madison, the Yellowstone, you know, uh, rivers on the on the west side, like the Blackfoot and Clark Fork and those guys, types of rivers. Um, but nobody ever hears about the Missouri. We shouldn't tell them. Uh, yeah, well, it's, well, it's too late now. It's too we late. Should, we, should, <laughs> yeah. we should be really quiet right, <laughs> right. now. Everybody just shh. But now, the, you know, the, the cat's out of the bag, so to speak. And, um, you know, I do talk to clients from all over. The country last week there was a woman that fishes the white river was out here and she said it's not even close the white river for for the reputation that it has isn't even close to the consistency the number of fish the size of fish in the missouri it's just it's crazy and you hear that all the time when people come to missouri they're just blown away by the number of fish and the size of fish. Well, and it's amazingly easy to get spoiled. Um, we went fishing with you right. about a year ago. Is it not quite a year Pretty ago? Pretty close, yeah. Exactly, it was, it was yeah. around this time. And uh, six years ago, whatever it was, I just assumed, like, all right, I'm going to do the fly fishing thing. Never done it before. Uh, it turns out I'm allergic to it. Um, <laughs> I had a really bad experience my first two times out, one of which was with him. He's a jerk. Never fished with Scott Hershey. <laughs> really good fisherman. Just Thank don't go you. with him, expecting him to do anything but tear off $80 worth of your gear while he's busy catching fish and can't help you. Um, but then we went out, and you literally had me hooked up on a fish before the second boat was done clear of its trailer. Right. I was like, oh, well, all right, I guess. I guess there's something to that. So if the Missouri is, or if it's fishing that well, then I can catch them. Then, well, I mean, there's hope for anybody. And I don't want to. Yeah, the the thing about the Missouri too, though, is that it's like this, just monster of a paradox, right? Like there's so many fish, and there's and and you know you can go out there and catch a fish before, like you said, before the right. second boat is off the trailer. Um, and and what I always try to do, there's a bridge right at that put in where we put in, mm-hmm. and I always try to catch a fish before we hit the bridge. The bridge is literally ten yards downstream, right. and I'm like, if we catch a fish before the bridge, like that's my goal, because pressure's off. Pressure's immediately. Off. Everybody's and, having fun now, and you know it's kind of cockiness. I, I'm not gonna lie, you know, <laughs> yeah. like like we're gonna catch a fish right here, and people are like, no way, and then boom, you do, and you're like, holy crap. Well. There's a reason why there are fish right there, right? And and there's a reason why we know there's fish right there. I mean, they, so when I say that the Missouri is this huge paradox, it's it's one. There's so many fish in there, and and we can make it look really easy, but it's also an incredibly technical river to fish. So you have to do some things really well and and know where those fish are. You look at the Missouri River, and it's just this huge body of water. It's not very. It's it's nondescript water. 
It looks relatively flat, slow moving, tons of food in the water. Those fish get a really good look at what you're throwing at them. So I talk to people all the time from Helena here that fish the Missouri, and they're like, we hate it because we can never catch fish on the Missouri. It can be brutal. But then you learn a couple things, and your your success goes up exponentially, and you can make it look really easy. That's why we make money off it. Right. Yeah, and a lot of people think it would be kind of odd for a um, – uh, for a seasoned fly fisherman, especially from the area, uh, to go and, and and take a guided trip, but you're you're not only paying for the the guide, the accommodations, the boat, the the knowledge of it is not only um, you know the years you're doing it. It's the where are we at in the season, mm-hmm. and and on the Missouri that can be paramount. You can have you can have a week where the fish change, and are on are keying in on something, and it can change a little bit subtly from year to year. Not a lot, but but a little bit. And these guys know because they're out there every day and they're out there every year. And and guys like me who fish, uh, I would categorize it if, as fishing a lot. To some people, it's not. Some people, other people, it's it's a lot. Um, you fish a lot. I well, no, you fish to a go lot. out there though. I'll go out and have days where I can't figure out what they're doing. And and I can't. And these guys will tell you, well, here's what happened. It's it went this way, and they're they're doing this now. They were doing this yesterday, and it changes. But that's the kind of thing you're paying for, and that that's why he can go do that and say we're going to catch a fish before the bridge that you can see right there and almost you know, and you can hit it with a rock because they they know where they were yesterday, they know where they were last year, and it progresses that way. But it doesn't mean it's an easy river to fish by any means. It's very hard. Yeah, and the and the. The fascinating thing to me and why I one of the reasons why I like guidance so much is because those conditions do change and and it makes every day different. But it's also um, there are a lot of things that stay the same. For instance, the bucket right above the bridge. Right. There's always a bucket there. It's never it's been there for 16 years that I've been guiding and we catch fish there all the time from year to year to year. There's other places on the river that, you know, depending upon water flows, they might, for instance, where the Dearborn confluence is that comes into the Missouri River, there's there's been years where that the Dearborn, which is just a small creek right now, was bigger than the Missouri coming in because they had 10 inches of rain up in the scapegoats. That brings a bunch of gravel down and it completely changes the structure of the river from that point on. And and if you're not on your game, like those conditions change and then you're like holy crap like now you're lost or you feel lost and then it's a whole process of figuring that out again so there's some that remains the same from year to year and then there's some places that change entirely which makes it fun and fresh and you feel i don't know there's there's a sense of accomplishment when you figure it out now that all sounds good i don't you know knowing the river and learning all of the different nuances of the the landscape and the ecosystem but the other part of your job is dealing with humans yeah that's where you lose me because again i was just in vegas i was reminded immediately like oh i live in montana because i hate people like just (laughs) almost all of them are terrible and in the way and on their phones uh and crossing the wrong way on a crosswalk um the challenge there especially with something like a river runs through it or some outsized expectations that you're going to go to Montana and have this one time, you know, experience of a, of a lifetime. How do you manage that? Well, that is, that is the majority of your job is, 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 uh, reading people and managing expectations. So, 
if somebody shows up and says, hey, I watched a river runs through it. I learned how to cast. <laughs> and you're like, well, now we're going to have to learn how to cast again. Right. Because that's not casting. You know, like right. there's no such thing as a ghost cast. I'm sorry. The shadow cast. Or shadow cast. Right. Yeah. Sorry. There's, there's, there, there are things <laughs> in that river that were, or in that movie that were obviously. You just broke someone's heart. I They're know. like, wait, what? I've been yeah. practicing this on a rock <laughs> right. in the park. Right. Well, they, and it's, it's I can hit my dog it's, in the ass from 20 feet. Right. But it also gives you kind of a, a, a jumping off point or, a, you know, a, a, something to, to talk about. Right. So the whole process there is, yeah, I watched the river runs through it. You know, I think I got this casting thing down and then you, you, then you can start, uh, you know what their expectations are. You start to get in a feel of those expectations. You know how to address it. And you might joke around with it. Well, like I just said, well, right. now we're going to have to relearn how to cast <laughs> because you watched this movie. And you can talk about um, – it, it just opens the door for, for some of those those conversations and then getting an idea of, of what that person want, wants out of a day on the river and then how you can how you can facilitate that, you know. Um how much contact do you have with clients ahead of their actual arrival? It depends if I'm the outfitter or not. So so sometimes I'm working for another outfitter and I don't know anything about these these people. That sounds like a nightmare. Yeah. Well, it can. It can but it can also be um there are times where I've shown up to to take clients out fishing and the dude is is living out of his the back of his car. He just drove out from Wisconsin. He's he's got ripped up Carhartts on and uh just a, a torn up hat. He's got you know, and you're like like this is gonna be awesome. You know, the guy is right. is uh I mean you have some you have some unfortunate, you know, um preconceived, you know, like ideas of what this is going to go like and then you start talking to this individual and you're like holy crap like this guy's amazing uh you get in the river around the boat and he's like i've never fly fished before i want to learn everything about it and he becomes just the sponge of like like taking in everything that you're you're giving him and he he turns out to be the coolest dude in the world you know and then at the end of the day he tips you with a six pack of of uh new Glarus beer from wisconsin and uh children's book that he wrote <laughs> and you're like who is this guy you know right so so that's what you have, i believe anyway is that's what you have to do is go into every situation whether you talk to him on the phone for an hour um setting up the trip or you never met the person and i mean you have to go into it with with just kind of like a this open perspective of like this this could be great might not be we're going to play it by ear. Now, as, as a, you meet somebody for the first time that you don't know much about, so um, obviously I think you're going to probably know where they're from, might tell you a little bit, uh, and you're going to approach them, you're going to see what they're wearing, might tell you a little bit, what they're yeah. driving, might even tell you a little bit, but what is the first few questions you ask? What are the first few uh, conversation points that you try to feel them out with? Well, first, you know, um, have you been to Montana before? Have you fished Montana before? Um, you know, what's your level of experience with fly fishing? Uh, and then the obvious question for me is what, what do you want to get out of the day? You know, is it putting numbers of fish in the net or is it looking at scenery? Um, you know, those types of things are, are important. Do you want to learn about fly fishing or do you just want to get out there and have a chill day and, and, and not, uh, you know, not put so much emphasis, emphasis on the learning, but more about 
the sightseeing or whatever. Like, what is your goal out of the day? And I, I really try to push the learning part of it. You know, like I always feel if you're spending that much money on a trip, then you should walk away with more than just a couple photos to post on Facebook, you know, or Instagram. Like you should walk away with something. And for me, the easiest way to do that is to give them tools, you know. Um, but if this is a, a bucket list type trip and they're never going to fly fish again, that's that's cool. It's good to know that. Right. You know, but we can. It's easy to get caught up in that too, mm-hmm. because trout don't live in ugly places. Right. There's no section of the Missouri here in Montana that looks like Gary, Indiana. You can right. fish a lot of places that look absolutely terrible. Yeah. Um, but and have great success catching fish. But you can go out there and get caught up looking at everything other than your gear that's in the water because everything around it's gorgeous. Yeah, and to be to be honest, like when I first started guiding. Um, I was so focused on, on, on fishing, right. You know, and, and I wanted people to catch fish. I wanted them to be successful. Part of it was, you know, they're spending a lot of money and, and, and you, and you take that into account, but part of it also is like, so you can go back to the, the bros, the bar and brag about how many fish you caught. Like I'm an awesome guide because we caught 50 today or whatever. Um, and then I started realizing like, the vast majority of the people don't care about you going back to the bar and being able to <laughs> brag about how many fish you caught, right? And they're wrong, by the way. You should always care about going back to the bar. If you're coming to Montana, keep that in mind. Right. Well, Going it, back to the bar to brag about what happened that day is like 70% of it. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever you did, hiking, hunting, fishing, going back to the bar, bragging on right. your day, that's it. Some clients actually do get off on that, though. Like, Of course. Like, they oh, yeah. want to be able to have like they want their guide bragging about their day you know like yeah that is you want to feel good about it however the majority of people like you said they're looking around and you know maybe they're looking for bighorn sheep or whatever because they've never seen a bighorn sheep and and their indicator goes down and you're like set hit 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 ah oh, you missed that one you know well they don't right at some point like i got i got to the point where i was like well there's plenty of opportunities you're gonna miss fish if you're looking at that eagle up there and you miss the fish, not that big a deal. Eagle won't miss that same fish, by the way. Probably not. No. <laughs> that Eagle's reminds that me, fish. there is an eagle out there. It's in one spot on the river, and he will try to steal your fish <laughs> almost every time. <laughs> well, and, once and they figure so that many, out. It's a, it's a run. Um, I don't know if I should yeah, I'll no. say it. It's called uh, the Helen Keller Rock. And it's because there's so many fish in there, even Helen Keller can catch Right, a fish there, and there's an eagle that sits up on top of that rock. And every time you hook a fish, that eagle comes and tries to steal your fish. And I've named the eagle Hal. <laughs> and it's I have videos where clients are hooked up, and this fish is literally five feet from the boat trying to ca- grab this fish. It's pretty amazing. And Hal comes back every year. Every year. Wow. Every year. Yeah. And once you, they learn that, once it's you know a, where the buffet is. Yeah, absolutely. But the the clients that i have that have experienced that they might literally catch 50 fish that day and what they remember is freaking hal coming down <laughs> trying yeah. to steal their fish it's the highlight there's always got to be a highlight of every trip yeah so it's the most majestic theft in nature right, right. but the point is is like there's so many things that could make a, a day on the water that that aren't even even related so much to the act of fly fishing but it's the experience and the journey do you still fish yourself yeah, just absolutely. on your own. Yep. That's not a like 
pizzeria situation where you make pizzas, the last thing you want is to eat one? No, I just, when I fish, I, I try to find um, things that I've, I haven't either done before or not that many people are doing. So it's going up to mountain lakes or, or creeks and, and, and wade fishing and doing that type of thing versus fishing the Missouri. But the Missouri is still, I still fish the Missouri. When, when the conditions are right for the type of fishing that I want to do, I'll fish the Missouri. How do you get over that intimidation factor? It's something I run into, and it's not just fishing related, but going to new spots right. where you know the locals know whatever's going on. Again, whether it's hunting land, hiking area, mm-hmm. there there are good spots, bad spots, ways to do things and ways not to do things. Sometimes in Montana, the ways not to do things, they find your body in the spring because you did right. it wrong and you didn't know what you didn't know. How much preparation do you spend when you're going to a new spot? Because something like an alpine lake, that can go south yeah. in a hurry. Uh, having a bad day fishing might be a best case scenario. Right. Well, so, so there's two things there. Like, um, one is, is just your, your own personal safety. Right. You know, and, and everything, everybody has to kind of stay in their lane. Right. Um, I spend a ton of time out in the outdoors, out in the mountains, um, by myself, usually hunting for elk or, or whatever it is. So, so the more time you spend out there, the more confidence you build, you know, around being able to take care of yourself when things come up things inevitably will come up. So there's there's that piece of it. But I I think the harder thing for me when I first started getting into fly fishing and guiding especially was the intimidation factor of it's a really technical sport or activity. Um, and there's a lot of people that that either you're working for or that you're in a group of people that are a lot better than you at it. So there's that intimidation factor too. It's just like, Am I ever going to be successful at this? Or am I going to go out there and get blanked? And then the boat next to me that's on the same group or same trip, they're hanging 50, you know? Like that's, to me, that was incredibly intimidating. And even when I first started fly fishing, just going into a fly shop and asking for help was really intimidating, you know? I think some of your background and some of the things you've done before um, kind of <laughs> lend itself to that and uh, uh, to talk a little bit about that because the rest and I know each other pretty well. We've been doing a podcast. Also, we've been doing the Montana Dreamcast for years. We're having like a podcast but, uh, inception. It's a kind podcast. Of a <laughs> podcast. Uh, but Russ has a background. He he at one point was uh, was was working with troubled youth on backcountry extended stay trips for a long period of time. So you add to the fact all those environmental concerns like you add, like things can go south, weather can change, all sorts of bad things can happen. But add to that a bunch of troubled kids that who also be there. have not been to anywhere like that in the world. So this, I would think, a, you know, a backpacking trip on your own would be a little bit easier compared to that. Yeah. And I mean, Elkhorn's just south of here. Um, you know, that was our winter operation with these kids. And uh, and like Scott said, they were out in the backcountry for 60 days at a time. Like that was their uh, rehab program, backcountry rehab. And their first week in the backcountry was called Impact. And it was called Impact for a reason. So middle of the winter, we have these kids in their first week out in the backcountry. And um, it's 25 below zero and it snows like three feet on us. It's ridiculous. The worst storm I've ever been in. We don't even have tents. Like these kids are carrying um, tarps and bivy sacks and sleeping bags on their back. And that's what they're sleeping in on the ground. And you have to keep them alive like that. That's a real that's a real life deal, you know, and it 
that was scary. I don't want to do that, then. That that was that was <laughs> That's scary. A deterrent. But when you when you, you say three weeks ago, I got hit by three feet of snow overnight at my house, <laughs> and I had to plow. Right. That was enough to have me reconsidering where I live. He was right. mad, and I had, I got to sleep in my bed. I had a shower. <laughs> yeah, all, I had all the things. Honestly, though, like like when you when you go through some of those things, it definitely builds confidence to be able to handle a lot of different things. I got. Um, and for the kids too, like that was that was the cool thing is like the kids, the the amount of confidence that they built out of that, and now in the future, hopefully that sets them up to be able to handle other situations. I mean, uh, I mean that's that's why we were doing what we were doing. But but in my personal life, um, just as scary of a situation, scarier was, probably because you're thinking you got to keep all of them alive. Right. If I'm one of those kids on the trip, I'm just worried about me. Mm-hmm. Right. You could be eaten by a bear as long as I make it out. But, but it's it's interesting to me how how we frame some of these experiences. One being scarier than the other. Um, I worked in the inner city of Milwaukee, and I would bring um, kids and staff members that had never been to like the Kettle Moraine National Forest in in Wisconsin. Um, I bring them out into the woods, and they were freaking out uh, a bug landing on them. That was scary to them. Now flip that around and take somebody from you know wherever Oshkosh or something, some suburb, bring them right down to the inner city and have them walk by themselves down the street in the hood. Right. That's pretty freaking scary to them too. So it's all it, it's it's you know you put that into context and and you realize that as clients come out here and they've never had these ex- experiences, like the intimidation, like it shows. It allows you to have empathy for them too, which again opens up that door for those conversations on what do you want out of your day. Um, you know, like I, I just talked to a, a woman a couple of weeks ago about taking fly fishing lessons, and she didn't want to do it at first because she was afraid of it, because she didn't want to fail. You know. By so, the way, that sucks, and that's a very real thing. Like it, I, I will avoid stuff just because I'm gonna. I don't want to suck at it. Right, and you have to. But but when you, you start at something, you're gonna suck at it. And that but, part I hate it. Sure. And the most important thing that we can have as guides and outfitters is is the ability to to empathize with people when they're stepping out of their comfort zone and they're trying to do these things. So if somebody misses a fish or doesn't set the hook or or blows a cast or whatever and puts a fish down, instead of like like ah oh, gee you know. And kind of going off on them a little bit or showing disappointment to be able to turn around and be like, well, okay, so here's what the next time this comes up, this is what we need to do. You know, like being able to frame it in a way that's not so threatening to them. Well, I don't think people uh, who have never done a a guided trip uh, even realize how much of a head start you have <laughs> oh, and it's how much a, it's of a cheat code. A, it's absolutely. I mean, you're going from, you know, I went out and, and I'm self-taught fly fisherman and I had to go out with a really cheap, terrible rod and reel and the whole thing being, being absolute junk and, and just thrash my way for years and, and year after year, learning a little more, a little more, a little more, you jump to like point eight out of 10. When you, when you jump in a river with a guide, you get a boat, you get to float and then you have all that knowledge. Uh, and I, a lot of it's and here's what's going to happen to a lot of people. They're going to go out and try it themselves and learn that they have to take a little step backwards mm-hmm. and that's okay. But you do, you know, for these people, especially we're going to do one trip. 
um, and might not have an interest to carry it on as a lifelong thing, you're going to have a great time. Mm -hmm. You're going to enjoy it, and you're going to catch fish. Yeah, I guess my goal, though, for those people that, you know, this is a bucket list item and they don't maybe don't think that they're ever going to do it again, uh, I take that as a challenge. And I'm like, all right, uh, let's see if you never want to fly fish again. You know, in my mind, I'm thinking they're going to be back. Like, mm -hmm. I'm going to make sure that they want to come back, you know, and that that's the challenge to me. Or maybe they discover that there's fly fishing wherever they live where they didn't yeah. think there was because there is almost anywhere. I've seen guys catching uh, carp in the, the Los Angeles River in California, which is the river that's man-made. It's got basically sewer water going through it. You can fish anywhere. Mm -hmm. And that's what you'll discover uh, if you go fly fishing and then you go back home and you're like, oh, there's people who actually do this near me. We, right. he, Russ was talking about fishing in Milwaukee. And, and catching fish at a, at a river that goes right through. Well, and what what I learned, and I at one point, I'd, I, I'm i going to do the fly fishing thing. Uh, kind of made up my mind. Got some gear. Eventually, I ended up selling it back to Scott. Because I'm like, I'm, I don't need this. Like, I'm never going to use this. <laughs> right. I hate this so much. I, it just made me angry. And then I went out with you and had a great time and caught fish mm -hmm. and kind of got it. And then I realized, like, this is awesome. But Russ isn't going to be here again. So... Until that's a thing, when Russ is around, you holler. Right. I'm in because I'm not going to go out there and because I, I know my retention is going to be about 18 percent of what you gave me that day. And I'm like, what did Russ say to do? And why is my gear in a tree again? <laughs> I remember he had a thing well, for this. Plus, you driving the boat is a different deal. Yeah, well, you know, I've never understood drift boats. I had mm -hmm. a friend that had a Clacka when I lived in Washington. I would always look at it as a as a kid who grew up on boats in big water and big lakes, I would look at uh, like that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. How does it go? Where do you? How does? It, where's the motor? Just and well, you're you a, you're a. I mean, a, you should try to of, row one. It'll humble you. You're in a kind hurry. of a Jedi with that thing. <laughs> well. You're like I'm gonna go to that rock, cast to that rock on three, two, now, and you well, know. Well, I appreciate that. Um, Without but, that, I'm not doing it. So I got spoiled. That's how rich people live, and I had no idea. It's so much more fun to fish as a rich person True. than it is to be broke-ass me or, out there just mad because I lost $8 worth of gear, like ruined my whole weekend. Right. Uh, I mean, with the radio show, you guys, like, we can do more promos. That'll, that'll get you in without having to be make it an person. annual trip. Scott yeah. might go fishing with Russ. That's yeah. what they said. Is the whole, the, the whole, that whole promo we did, and we gave away trips with us to go fish. They right. said, this is just designed to get you fishing, isn't it? And I'm like, well, kind of. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. you know. Another day in Russ's boat's not a bad day. So the other guide, Mike Burke, yeah. uh, he texted me last week, actually. And I was still like, follow Berkey on social. He's a lunatic. Yeah. <laughs> so he was like, are we going to do this fishing thing again with the Mighty Mo?" And I was like, <laughs> oh, maybe. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, I'm in. Yeah. So the, the funny thing, though, uh, about the rowing is, and not to throw Scott under the bus, but Scott, when Scott and I first started hanging out, he's like, yeah, let's go fishing. I can row the boat. It's not a big I deal. I said I have rowed a boat. I didn't say. I did, By no means will I say I knew how to do it like he does. So uh, it didn't last long. I'm just, just saying. <laughs> they, have literal, they have zero tolerance. You, you might as well have said, I use the rowing machine at the gym. Same deal. <laughs> you ever been in a car with a bad driver, but it's the only option and you still got to get to point B? <laughs> they don't even do that. They're no. like, nope, 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 nope. They would rather row than fish if you're, it's bad rowing. You're ruining funny, everyone's the day. The funny thing is, yeah. is I, I taught a 12-year-old autistic kid how to row the boat well enough for me to fish, and we caught fish. So it can be done. I've seen people try to teach Scott stuff. It's, <laughs> there's a certain age, and I don't know when it is. I, I may be there as I'm 47. There's just a certain age. 
Where whatever you've got, that's what you got. Yeah. You got your well, favorite movie, your favorite songs, how you do things, the way you drive, what you wear. That's it. There's my. no more room for advancement, and I don't care what anybody says. You can keep learning your whole life. Bullshit. Uh, you can't. Not I, I would I would push back on that a little bit, and I'll take you out and I'll teach you how to learn a boat and maybe or row a boat and maybe. Uh, Maybe you'll change your that's, mind on that's that. That's what I need is a new expensive it is, hobby. It is amazing how much patience they have with people who have no idea how to cast, it's, and yet you row a boat B level, C level, and they're <laughs> out no, in that's ten minutes. It's be- uh, man, there's a there was a goal, there's an objective, and right. you can't meet that objective. Get the hell out of the well, seat. And that's the thing uh, for you. The patience of fly fishing is a thing. There are a lot of for me. There are a lot of levels. One, there's the, the mechanics of the thing. That's one thing. you got to learn that. Mm-hmm. Then you've got to learn about nymphs and water columns and hatches and eggs and th- stuff. Right. Then you're catching trout, which has always bugged me because I'm a lake kid. I'm like, mm-hmm. I eat trout. They taste like socks. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> but you, they're beautiful. They live right. in beautiful places. So that, But then the extra level of it. So you've got patience for this, patience for this, patience for this, then patience for humans. Mm-hmm. And you're bringing people in from all over the country, some of which have a very stylized idea about what it is they're going to do mm-hmm. that may not match the reality in some ways. And that's, man, I don't, I don't know how you do it. I don't, I don't have, I have road rage before I get to the end of my driveway. My patience is non-existent. Yeah. So I think, I think, you know, bringing all those different elements to the table, I think you can look at certain parts of it where you have more patience than others. And, and there are clients that definitely have, have rubbed me the wrong way or pushed me over the edge. And just leave them on the riverside like that's it i can't take it i'm leaving no but I would. um i've made the mistake of like looking at a person and saying okay we could use a little more effort from you you know like you're on your phone listening to the baseball game meanwhile your crap is getting swung downstream and then you try to cast and you're hitting me in the face with the streamer right and i don't like it <laughs> you know <laughs> so i've been to that point and um and i and i've made the mistake of of addressing it in a way that I might with a teenager in the backcountry, which is not good when somebody's paying money that much money to enjoy their day. And if they want to sit on their phone and listen to a baseball game versus, you know, fishing or taking in the scenery or whatever, it's their money. It's their trip. They can do whatever they want with it. Um, so you, you kind of have to put that into perspective. The thing that that pushes me over the top more than anything though, is just watching other people on the river and the lack of consideration for what we do as guides or even guides on guides, the lack of, of understanding of the etiquette on a particular river. And because of that lack of understanding or even caring about other people on the river, that's going to affect my day and all those people around me. That stuff I don't have a lot of tolerance for. And that's where I probably need to, Take a breath. You know, <laughs> take all the breaths. I would all need the all the breaths. Right. I would need a breathalyzer. I would need, I don't know, oxygen. Well, every, everybody who loves uh, fly fishing like I do is thoughts at some point in their brain. They're like, man, this would be great to be a fishing guide. And and I kind of look at it now this way. There's two things about it. First of all, it's turning something you love into into work, into your which job. can be at work at times. That's I mean, it's it's work. Always believe me. a danger. Right. And I don't like work. So uh, doing that is, is going to change something you love for sure. But the second part, that and, and as Russ was talking about that, I thought 
So imagine being at customer service, uh, an average customer service job. You're going to have a bunch of customers in all the time. Imagine you get one bad customer and you got an interact with them for one point of your day and off they go. And you're like, oh, that person ruined my day. Now imagine that bad customer coming and you have to spend the next six hours with them. At a distance <laughs> By of about, themselves. about three and a half feet. Yeah. Yes. The, right. the, I mean, boats get suffocatingly small. Yachts get small mm. when you're not having a good day. But like to it, be able to figure that out for as many years as Russ has been doing yeah. this and guides like him like that, you have to be really good at handling well, it. And you so. have to really love it. Yeah. yeah. Like you have to you still you still seem like you, you yeah. love it. You said sixteen years just with this. You right. still seem like somebody who enjoys what you're doing. I, I do. And and I've like anybody in any other profession, um, you know, whether you love it or not, you, nobody's perfect. And last year, um I had three days with a father and son and it 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 wasn't it was probably the worst three days i've had as a guide um and they were staying in helena so i would have to drive them up to the river in the morning 45 minute drive spend seven hours in the boat with them or eight hours in the boat with them and then drive back and you can't even dog cuss them out in privacy of your own truck because yeah. they're there and and i and i didn't handle it very well you know so so the lessons still <laughs> what is, come. What, what's the morning of day three like? Well, <laughs> you're just like, Ugh, right. Look, I don't like you, and you don't like me. Get on the boat. <laughs> I still kept trying to salvage the relationship. You know what I mean? Right. Like, like it was the. I knew the breakup was coming, but <laughs> I'm still, I'm still putting my best foot forward. Still buying gifts, flowers, you know. Right. Uh, Took a shower, shaved, yeah. got my best cologne on. You look pretty this morning. Yeah, but it didn't. Uh, it didn't. It didn't. Ha- it didn't work out very well. But but you know, as being trying to be a professional in 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 the guide world, the guide community, the just in 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 life, you know, just trying to be a professional. Um, making the best out of it and then taking a step back and saying, well, I could have done this differently. And out of the thousands of people that I've guided, they're not always, they're not, I'm not always going to hit a home run, you know, like we're not always going to have, sometimes people just don't get along. Well, give us an example of one of the good ones because, and I'm, I have somebody in mind because as I said, uh, Russ and I uh, did the podcast together. So I, I'm thinking about, you know, you, you obviously have uh, clients that you're you come away with such a, a good impression of a person, and I and I don't know if we want to mention names or not because you could, but um, the NFL player you had last year was some somebody who you came away with with oh, such yeah. a, such an amazing impression that that day uh, was was one that I'm sure made that season for you. Yeah, and it's yeah this this gentleman. Um, like when when I mean, he's just a huge huge person um and and immediately from from meeting him like he was so interested in in what we were doing and like our lifestyle and and he he opened the door for like this just free exchange of of like um philosophy ideas uh, the, the fishing was secondary. He was just kind of out there having a good time. Just an amazing dude. Um, he was in the NFL at a time where, you know, coming out of the closet was just, just not going to happen. Right. right. Um, but he's openly gay, you know, and just this mountain of a man. 
and and just it was just fascinating being able to to share experiences and 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 troubles and lessons learned through navigating you know a very challenging situation um and and I did I felt like I walked away with just just being a better person for being in a boat with this guy for eight hours. But you're you going to find out who somebody is. How? Uh, yeah, I mean, no, I said you're going you oh, to yeah. find out who someone is in that amount of time. And, you know, having done that that day with you, eventually the conversation turns. You can only do the superficial, so right. do you like right. fun stuff uh, yeah. for so long before <laughs> yeah, oh. somebody says something and it comes out in a moment of frustration. Right. You know, I remember when we did the trip because there were a couple of people who thought they knew who we were and then I did something wrong. With, and then the way I actually talk came out <laughs> to a sea of dumbfounded faces. Like, I didn't know you could make those words, but I make, pretty much exclusively make these words. Sorry, that was without warning. And then you get then you get down to who someone is. Um, it's good to know that, that that can work its way both ways, though. That it's not just somebody having a good experience because they booked the right guide, but that some of that comes back the other way. Yeah, and I and I I feel like you know. Again, it's not just in guiding, but in, in life in general. Like if you walk into these situations, you're, you're meeting somebody for the first time and you know you're going to spend a significant amount of time with them. It's not it, – it, it's it's trying to get information about them um, in order to make their experience better. And in doing so, y- you learn a lot. You learn a lot about yourself. You might learn a lot about, um, you know, where that person came from, um, how they – like the lessons that they've learned through life, you know? And I think that's important. I think that's important as a guide instead of going into it as, is like with this idea that I'm going to teach this, I'm the teacher, I'm going to, you know, I'm in control. I'm going to, you know, they're going to learn so much from me about fly fishing and all that stuff. Like, like take a step back and say, whoa, wait a second. You know, like that person has a lot to offer as well. And if you can go into those situations that way, I think you set yourself up better for, you know, a better experience throughout the day. I think it's fascinating, uh, not only the kind of people who come here to take a, a guided fly fishing trip, but it's fascinating to me that the myriad of people who become fly fishing guides. And I think that there's, a, you know, there's there's younger ones, and then there's guys who've been around a while, but it's it's almost a similar like like their backgrounds and the kind of community that they have among just the fly fishing guides on just the Missouri River here in Montana, there mm-hmm. could be a reality show about that yeah. alone. And a lot of it happens in Craig, and a lot of it uh, happens at at one particular bar. And it would it would be fascinating to yeah. me. And, and I'm sure that I mean character after character after character in their backgrounds is right. just as fascinating. Right. The amount of master's degrees that hang out in Craig that are <laughs> trout bums. It's crazy. You know, people that are incredibly intelligent, like they could have paved their road a lot differently than, than the way they did. And they chose to, to be trout bums, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and, and for a reason, you know, they probably saw what it was going to take to, to live in the corporate world or whatever it was there. And they just bailed on it. Like, this isn't me, you know, and it took a master's degree to figure that part of it out. And you know. I think for the people who are interested in coming on a trip, it's you can pick a guide that fits what you want to do and, and how you want to do it. There are guys who are every bit the competitive fly fishing freaks oh, yeah. who are who are, you know, they got all the gear, they they play look the part and they're going to be 
hyper focused on you know with the rock music playing in the background and 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 big takes and the whole thing that you see in the fly fishing films mm-hmm. and then there's guys who, who might be a little more apt to talk about have conversations and, and talk about music and talk about all those other things but you can if you have a conversation with people ahead of time about what you want from the trip as you said like mm-hmm. that was the first impression what do you want from this trip right you can probably uh choose from one of those guys and find one you have a good time with yeah um yeah, there's there's the whole range of um, it, every just like clients, every guide has their objectives for the day or their goals for the day or 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 how they want to be perceived, you know. Um, and that's so much it has such a huge deal uh, to do with um, how how a guide approaches their job or how anybody approaches their job is how they want to be perceived. So, do you want to be perceived as the best angler out there? Okay, there you go. Like, congratulations. Um, but if you're a douchebag when you're doing it, right? <laughs> yeah. You're going to be perceived yeah, as the best what angler who is also the biggest asshole on the river. Right. But, but the best ones are going to be like you. They're, I mean, you 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 can fit your trip for that person, and you can be those things that I just talked about in in one boat. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you want to do the fly fishing, you know, fast paced uh, edited you know version of of what fly fishing is on a, on a screen. You can do that, right? Absolutely. That, that's uh, that's another another aspect as opposed to having conversations about philosophy and life, right? So. Yeah. Um, I I there was I don't know how to segue back to like best clients, but I, mm-hmm. I just want to share a real quick story about probably the most impactful day that I had on the river it was like my first year of guiding. Um, I had a guy with uh, Parkinson's in the boat. And we fished with them for a couple of days, him and his son. And he had to fish in my boat because I had a bigger boat than the other guide. And he had a walker that had to go in the boat, right? And and I went into this situation going like, holy crap, like this is going to be a long day, you know? Started nymph fishing. And with nymph fishing, Mike, since you now are an expert in... Uh, <laughs> I've heard of nymphs. <laughs> so you know I think they that work at the Spearmint Rhino, right? It's I was very, just in Vegas. It's very different. When the indicator moves, you set the hook right away. It's a bobber. The I bobber. Think, yeah, I'm going to make all of you call it a bobber. So I, I was like, wait a minute. It's, indicator. The, it's kind of the easiest way to catch fish on the Missouri, right? Sure. It's the bread and butter of, of guiding. Um, so I hooked this guy up with, a, with an, an indicator, um, nymph rig. And as we're going downstream, his indicator would move. Bob would go under and, and it would take him a few seconds to like, cause his, his reaction time was so slow because of medication and Parkinson's and all that. And I, and I found myself getting a little frustrated, you know, um, we pull over for lunch. The guy hasn't caught a fish yet. His son's doing all right. Um, and there's all these fish rising like right off of this, this flat where we're doing lunch. Like we're on the beach and we're watching these fish out in the water coming up to, to dry flies. And, uh, the guide that I'm working with this, the other boat, he's like, Hey, why don't you bring Pat out there and catch some of those fish on dry flies? And I about ripped this guy's head off. Like, I was like, how are you, you're going to make, you're making my life even worse <laughs> right. now, you know, I can fail two ways. Yeah. So I rigged this guy up with a, with a dry fly. And it just so happens that this guy was, in his day was an amazing fly fisherman. Like he was, he was the shit. He was from Idaho and he'd fished all over the country, taking trips. And yeah, I mean, he was really good. Um, throw a dry fly on there. He casts and, um, 
this fish comes up and eats. And because his reaction time was slower, it was actually perfect for the dry fly fishing. And he hooks this fish and doesn't land it. It's not a very big fish, but but that was success. And I was like, oh my God, like maybe this is something that we can build off of, right? So after lunch, get back in the in the boat and um, you know, head downstream. Pat, the older gentleman, he's in the front of the boat sleeping because he, you know, he he was wore out. Right. Uh and he's he's got his head down and he's just drifting along with the, you know, in the front of the boat. His son's fishing out of the back and we're having a good time. We're laughing and stuff. We come around the bend of the river and there's this pot of fish that are just chowing on top, you know, and, and um I was like, Hey Pat, there's some fish rising over there. Would you like to go after him? And he doesn't say a word. He lifts his head up, reaches down, grabs his rod, and he strips off like 50 feet of line off of his reel, right? And shakes his rod tip, gets a little line out his rod tip, and just like real slow picks the rod tip up and just goes, and you hear him. Mm -hmm. And he drops 50 feet of line and this fly on a target about the size of a coffee can. And it drifts into this fish, first cast, and this 20-inch <laughs> rainbow just jump, eats his fly, and he sets the hook, and he's like, oh, got it. And, <laughs> and wow. he lands this fish. I still have a photo of Pat with this 20-inch rainbow fish, or rainbow trout that he caught on this dry fly. He's got the old blaze orange hat on, you know, the hunting hat oh, with yeah. the flaps <laughs> and everything. Like Cousin the guy, Eddie. Yeah, it was amazing. Let the fish go. I'm like, hey, there's more fish rising if you want to take a shot at them. And, and same thing, rips off a bunch of line, throws a fly out there, boom, hooks another one. Gets about halfway to the boat, thing pops off. He reels up all of his line. I was like, there's there's fish rising over here, Pat. And he's like, you know what? I've molested these fish enough for today. Puts his rod down, goes back to sleep. Don't hear from him for another three hours. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, Like this was the best experience ever here's the thing though the, the the insane part of this this was my first year of guiding last year um i had a, a fly fishing club from idaho wanting me to do a um a, a presentation on the missouri to their club and i used pat i talked about pat in this presentation i told that story pat used to be the president of that fly fishing club and all of these people knew him oh wow so it was such an amazing, like, like if you allow yourself to, or you open yourself up for those experiences, how that turns around and eventually it comes back on you. And, you know, I picked up business from that, you know, so in a, in a pragmatic sense, like it only makes sense to, to, to open yourself up for those experiences. Wake up, catch fish, leave. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Great way to do it. Turn that into a t-shirt campaign. Yeah. Well, that's as good a place as any, man, to, to wrap this up, I think, is a, is a great lesson. And like I said, it's I love talking to you because you, you love what you do, and that comes through. Because, like, I look at what you do, the technical aspect, the fishing aspect, those are both hard. Dealing with people, not my strong suit. So... Like I'm 0 for 3. And you seem to not only do it, but you do it with a smile on your face. You really enjoy it and you're always working at it. And that makes these conversations really, really fun. Well, I appreciate that. And I, again, like I'm not, every year I, I learn more and more about it. Um, more and more about people. Sometimes I regress. You know? 
So uh, it's, that it's one a was process. way worse than I thought. Yeah, it's a process. <laughs> it's a process for all of us, you know. Where can people find you on the interwebs? So mdfishingoutfitters.com, um, or just go to Google and and search the Montana Dream, and you will either get our podcast, um, which Scott Hershey is a huge part of, um, or you get to my website and just click the button, email me from the website, or you can call my business line. Can I can I give that out? Yeah, absolutely. Four zero six four zero three eight one six three. That's four zero six four zero three eight one six three. And we will include all of that in the show notes if you missed it. And that right. podcast is different than this one because uh, he lets me talk about the Packers because he's a Packer fan. So <laughs> yeah, ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> That's what I we don't need that. There's, there's <laughs> some people in that. Missoula that agree with you, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> there are people all over the country that agree with me. <laughs> well, we hear about the Missoula yeah. ones. Uh, Stupid green and gold nonsense. <laughs> Fight <Jealousy>. song. That's <laughs> no, not jealousy. It just gets uh, it's so tiring. It's exhausting. Win a playoff game. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you so much for coming in, man. Appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. And I did. I brought treats. Yeah, like, we'll we didn't even them. get to that. But yeah, this but is... chewing into the microphones. Yeah. We haven't even got to that. But uh, <laughs> Russ also shoots elk, so it's just like <laughs> <laughs> apparently so does Mike. He's better first... at things than I am. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that you find many that are worse. <laughs> True. <laughs> My son hasn't gone hunting yet. He has the same number of bull elk as you. But yeah. Uh oh. <laughs> if you can't do something, hang out with people who can. Do you know? Yes. Yeah, you know, that's my theory with fishing. Absolutely. Do you know how many people from our podcast, the Montana Dreamcast, are rooting for Scott every year to shoot an elk? I was too. Yes, until... he knows exactly what he's yeah. like. He roots for the Detroit Lions. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I have met those people, and I was rooting for him too until I got mine, and he was a complete dick. Uh, so, so I was like, all right, well, now it's way better for our regular daytime show if he doesn't. Because right. if he breaks, breaks the streak, that's like 30% of our content <laughs> yeah. gone. Yeah. yeah. I don't want anything to do with that. So got it. uh, It's all about the content. We will. Yeah, well, for me, yeah. No, I got I'm going to be old enough to shoot one and then fall asleep again. That's just exactly <laughs> like fishing. Thanks again to Russ Dobrzynski for stopping by, and thank you for checking out Episode 9 of the Big Sky Boneheads podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all of the places you get your podcasts, and share this thing. And we'll be back next week. Very special guest coming up for Episode 10. Looking forward to that. Until then, be good.